You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. lovely to have you guys joining us this morning. So if you're joining with us today, we are picking up in our series that we're doing on Acts. Um, If you're joining us for the first time this morning and maybe you've never even been in the Bible before, Acts is a book in the Bible that describes the beginning of the church and how Jesus um, pours out his Holy Spirit on the church and how the church moves out from one place and spreads out all across the world. And it's an amazing story of just the explosion of the church um, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're picking up in Acts today. And so that's where you're joining us this morning. So we're going to be in Acts 16. We're going to be starting in verse 6. Um, But before we do that, I just want to share a wee story. So at the end of last year, my husband and I um, and the kids, God gave us a car. So he gave us a new car. It was an amazing um, moment of provision um, where our car was kind of falling apart (laughs) and um, through the generosity of someone else God provided us with a new car we were super excited about this car it had um, something that we've never had before it had a little built-in screen and in the little screen it had the sat nav and you could set it and we're like this is amazing you can set the sat nav and so we were programming it um, for just even tiny journeys I was using it getting across the city Um, but quickly what I found was that it was taking me the most bizarre bizarre routes like I would go on streets that I'd never been on before and I'd have to turn around and come back down the same street and then go off another point in a different tangent and this went on for four months until eventually we were traveling to a conference and and we had our friends in the car and our friend was kind of relating this story of our navigation system and how it just didn't seem to be going well at all and she was like oh what setting have you got it on Turns out we had it on a setting um, that was not the quickest route, but the most direct in terms of distance or something like that. And I didn't even know that was a thing, but there you go. And so we found ourselves getting rerouted and redirected all over the city when actually it was a simple case of just changing a setting. And doesn't life feel like that sometimes? Doesn't it feel like that we are being redirected? We feel like we had a plan to go one way and then suddenly we find we're in a brick wall and we have to change change the plan and go off on another route. Maybe we feel like we're pushing a door and it's, it feels like it's stuck. All we wanna do is just hit a button that hits reset and that makes it suddenly so much clearer. And we can feel that feeling of um, being rerouted and diverted. We can feel it in our relationships. We can feel it in our work. We can feel it in our finances, whatever it might be. But this morning, we're going to be looking at Acts 16. We're going to be looking at a journey that Paul takes um, with some of his companions. And we're going to be looking at how God leads them through their redirects, their reroutes, their setbacks. And he takes them in onto a greater adventure than they could ever have imagined. So we're going to read Acts 16. We're going to start in verse 6 together. So Acts 16, 6. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they entered. They tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. 
During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, our Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the gate to the river, outside the city gate, sorry, to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman um, from the city of Tyatria, worshipper, uh, sorry, named Lydia, a dealer in purple, of, in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So what can we take from this passage this morning that helps us as we navigate the routes and the paths that we encounter in life? The first thing that we can see is that God wants to guide us. We should expect to receive guidance from him. He wants to lead us through. We see it in this passage. Paul and his companions, they're setting out on their second ministry journey. And we know from the previous chapters that they've decided to kind of head back through um, a route that they'd previously taken on their first ministry journey, where they're going to encourage the churches that they'd seen planted um, the last time that they'd gone out on mission. And their purpose was really just to encourage those churches and to strengthen them and to build them up. I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a situation where you have confidently strode into a building and you've put all your weight behind a door only to find that that door is completely and totally locked and you have a bit of a face plant moment? This passage could be like that. You could look at this moment for Paul and his companions and think, gosh, they've pushed the door and it seemed like a bit of a face smack moment. But actually what is happening is that God is speaking and guiding them to the place where they actually need to be. And throughout this passage, we see um, God guiding his people in three really specific ways. And we're just going to look at those briefly just now. So the first way that we see God guiding his children, guiding his followers, is through the leading of the Spirit. We're told twice in this passage that the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is also referred to as the Spirit of the Lord. You might have heard that, especially in the Old Testament. But the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord, all the same thing, they, um, it is the Holy Spirit's leading. Um, the Holy Spirit closes the doors into Phrygia and Galatia and Bithynia. We don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit um, spoke to the missionaries, but it was most likely some sort of sense that they had, or maybe one of them was praying and they felt like they had a prophetic word or a picture showing them that they weren't supposed to go that way. We don't know how the Spirit did it, but we do know that he closed the door, that he said, this is not the way forward. 
The second picture of leading that we get in this passage is through miraculous leading. And we see it um, with Paul's dream of the man in Macedonia, where he's dreaming and this man saying, please come, come and help us. And so we see here that God speaks um, not only through the leading of the spirit, but we see him speaking supernaturally through dreams. And we see this time and time again in scripture, like you might think supernaturally through dreams, like God guides his people through miraculous leading and dreams. God gave Joseph the ability to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. And we see that in Genesis 39. Daniel was able to interpret the dreams um, in Daniel 2. We see that in Nebuchadnezzar, of Nebuchadnezzar's dreams that he was able to interpret. And that was a God-given ability to be able to interpret those dreams. And then Peter, earlier in Acts, we'll have seen it, where he suddenly understands how he's able to relate to Cornelius and his family because of a vision um, that God gives to him about how he can interact with the Gentiles from this point onwards. And that's in Acts 10. So miraculous leading, um, leading of the spirit, but we have one final way that we can see the guidance of God in these men's lives. And that is through his word. Now in Acts 16, they don't talk about picking up um, a Bible and opening the Bible and looking at that together, but we know that they had God's word. We know that they had um, the words of the Old Testament and we know that they had um, the words of Jesus where he said to them, go out into all the world. And here we see in this moment that they are doing exactly that. They are following the guidance of Jesus's words and they are going out into the world and they're sharing the goodness of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, where they go. When I was a youth worker, but this was a long time ago now, when I was young enough to be a youth, no, I shouldn't say that, I take that back. Um, but a few years ago, I was a youth worker and I worked in a place called Ayrshire and we had one particular um, youth group that we, um, where we were working with young people who were kind of regularly um, found themselves in bother with the police. And the purpose of our group was to give them an opportunity to just taste something a wee bit different, to take them out of the situations where they found themselves getting into bother all the time and give them a taste of something that was not that and open up their possibilities of what could be and the things that they might want to step into. And so we partnered with um, the local fire service in our area. And so what we did was we took our young people to different training centres um, of the fire service across the whole um, of our region. And we there was one day where we were going in and we were um, we were stepping into a training centre that helped us to navigate narrow spaces. So it was a fire um, service training um, centre where they went through different, um, what would you describe it, like air ducts. So they were kind of metal air ducts. And, and what we were supposed to do was we were supposed to get in these kind of air ducts and one person was at the lead at the front and we were navigating through. And the purpose of that obviously was that this is what the fire, um, the fire officers had to do, that they had to learn how to navigate these kind of tricky spaces and rescues. Um, and so there we were, all of us kind of piled in. We had um, the guys and the girls that we were working with. They went first and they followed the, the fire officer. And then my colleague, Morag, she got in and she was going through it. And then I got in and completely froze. I was just like, oh my goodness. 
this is so narrow and they were made of metal and so it was really loud noise like of people moving and clattering about I don't know if you can kind of imagine that kind of sound and I just froze and I just didn't know where to go and I found myself like breathing fast, got a bit disorientated. And then all of a sudden, through all the noise, I just heard my um, co-leader Morag just say, Sarah, you're okay, you're okay. Just listen to my voice and follow me. And so I listened to her voice, I followed her, we navigated through this warren of ducks and eventually we were out and we were breathing in fresh air. She was going ahead of me, she was guiding me, her voice was a comfort to me. My point is this, that in the midst of life's unexpected twists, turns, reroutes, closed doors, we can count on a God who guides us. We can expect his direction, his words, his opening and closing of doors as he goes ahead of us. I love that picture, that there's not one journey that we set on in this life where we can't expect the guidance of God with us. And it's important to see that in this passage, none of these men make decisions on their own. In both the leading of the Spirit and the miraculous revelation and following through on Jesus' words, they're leaning in together to understand how God is steering them. And that's something that I think we can take hold of today, that leaning in together. This Spirit prevented them from entering. We see that not one of them went off renegade. They're like, well, I'm not listening to you guys. Off I go. Not one of them did that. They submitted to the leading of the Spirit together. And there's a really powerful, um, yeah, powerful model that comes through in that community decision making together. So my question for you this morning is where do you need to hear God's guidance today? He wants you to know his peace, his presence, his voice and his leading before you and all that you're doing. God is our guide. We don't have to navigate the cost of living crisis. We don't have to navigate family breakdown moments. We don't have to navigate next steps with our friends who don't know Jesus on our own. We can depend on the God who guides us. The second thing that we see in this passage is that as we are guided by God, he is wanting to shape us in the process. And throughout this passage, we see two things in Paul and his companions that allow them to be shaped by the Spirit. And these two things are they have open hands and they have open hearts. What I am so struck by in this passage is that at every moment they are listening, they are looking, they are leaning in for the guiding of God and the Spirit. Each time when the door is closed, they continue to lean in for the Spirit's leading. They are literally led from one part of Asia to the other. One of the commentaries said that they're led from the extreme southeast. I was going to try and navigate that on a compass here, but I can't do that. <laughs> they're navigated from the extreme southeast to the extreme northwest corner. And at every point, the Spirit's saying, no, this is not the place to go. Keep moving forward. And, you know, it's funny because actually they weren't trying to do a bad thing. You know, they were trying to go around and encourage the churches. And you think, 
not, you know, they were going to try and make sure that people knew the grace of Jesus, the mercy of God. They were trying to make sure that everybody knew that everyone was welcome at the table of God. And we don't, none of us would really look at that and think, mm, well, that is a little bit suspect. I'm not sure if that would be what God would want you to do. But no, of course not. But it wasn't that what they were doing was wrong. It was just that God had a different plan. He had a different plan. And so they don't push on into these places anyway. They have open hands and they allow God to pick up their plans and to change them, to put them in a different plan. We have um, some friends who've got a wee baby boy and he's about like four months old right now. And um, we were chatting the other day about how if he gets a hold of your hair, you better be prepared to like lose some of it, you know, because when babies get a grip of your hair, I don't know if you've ever had a wee one grab hold of your hair, um, but there it's like vice, a vice like grip that they've got. Um, and you have to kind of pry their fingers off and you lose bits of your hair in the midst of it. Um, and we were just chatting about how they have such a strong grip. It's so powerful. Or maybe if they happen to get a hold of your ear or we shared about glasses, you know, glasses being yanked off your face by a wee one. My husband lost a couple of pairs of glasses that way with our kids. Um, but sometimes in life we can act like that, can't we? We can act like those wee ones with our plans where we have them in our hands and we want to hold them really tightly because it feels too scary to let them go or to change them or to even consider opening our hands up for something different. But we don't see that vice-like grip here with Paul and his companions. They give their plans over at each stage so freely. When the door closes and it shuts, they keep trusting and they move on to the next place that God would have them go. And that's because they get it. They get it that when the Spirit says stop, it carries just as much promise just as much blessing as when the Spirit says go. They get it. They get it that when the Spirit says stop, it carries just as much promise, just as much blessing as when the Spirit says go. And so what they do is they keep stepping forward and stepping into the invitation that God puts before them. They hold their plans with open hands and open hearts because they don't want to embark on a mission where the Spirit of God is not going with them. It reminded me of a passage in Exodus um, where Moses, it's in Exodus 33 verse 10, and Moses says this, do not send us up from here if your presence does not go with us. And I think you can see that here in Paul and his companions. At every moment they're holding their plans open, the spirit is closing the door and they're saying, yes, God, don't send us up from here if your presence doesn't go with us. And so only when they have the clear leading from God in the form of Paul's dream, I love it that it says they got ready at once to leave. They got ready at once. There was no hesitation. They were right in there. They're immediately willing to step into the story of God that he's writing. And they're willing to move forward with that, letting go of the plans that they had for themselves and stepping into the adventure that Jesus has for them. I wonder how many of us have felt like we're floundering in a stop moment right now. Maybe we've felt like God's closed the door and we've 
in that moment allowed ourselves to be shaped by other things. Maybe it's frustration, maybe it's disappointment. I just think there's a fresh opportunity for us in this passage to just step back in with open hands, with open hearts, and to allow ourselves to be shaped by the Spirit for the story that he is writing and through our lives and around us. So finally we see in this passage, finally we see in this passage that Spirit-led setbacks often lead to Spirit-filled setups. This journey is redirected. The plan is halted. Instead of crossing a country to familiar places there where they'd already met people, they already knew folks, they are taken across the sea to a whole new area that they hadn't visited before, to the region of Macedonia via Paul's dream, and they find themselves in the significant place of Philippi. When they arrive, they don't find themselves face to face with the man in Paul's dream. Instead, they come to this um, city, to a place where they don't find followers really. Um, there's no obvious place where the people would gather. And so what they do is they leave the city. And we might think that's odd that they're leaving the city gates. But the reason why they're doing this is for two things. So one, they know that there's no synagogue in Philippi. Um, so that's clear to see that there's nothing being built there. And so that tells us that there were less than 10 male followers of Judaism within that city. It was Paul's pattern that he would have found a synagogue to preach in. We see that in lots of moments throughout Acts, but there's no synagogue here to preach in. And so they move out of the city gates because they know that they're going to find a place of prayer by the water and um, because people would have used the water to wash their hands. It was like a ritual that happened before they came to prayer. And so they know they're going to find people there. So they leave the city gate, they come across the sea, they come to this new city, they don't find a guy, there's no synagogue, and then they're outside the city looking for folks to share the message with. Now at that point, I would love to say that I would respond like these guys, um, but I think I probably would have been saying, huh? <laughs> What? Where's the guy that I'm supposed to preach to? Um, where's like the synagogue? Where are the people? But we don't see that here with these guys. They know exactly what to do. They sit down, and that was a custom for teachers at that time. They sit down with the women that they find by the river, and they preach the gospel with the women who are there. They preach the gospel with them. And what happens? We see that a woman of significant influence, wealth, um, and social position within that city, her name is Lydia. She gives her life to Jesus. And her whole household are baptized. And then Paul and his companions, they respond to her yes, like her invitation to come and stay with them with a resounding yes. And we start to see the message of Jesus here spreading out through Europe because Paul and his companions said yes to the leading and to the guiding of the Holy Spirit. And right there, right in that moment, you see the foundations of the church of Philippi beginning to be formed. Spirit-led setbacks often lead to spirit-filled setups. And we see that here, that these guys met Lydia and the church in Europe began to grow through that encounter with her. 
Last year, we felt like God was encouraging us to um, move house. We were going to put our house on the market and we um, had a number of different words and pictures that kind of confirmed that to us. We felt like that was what God was leading. And one of the words specifically was that our house move would be a story of faith for our children. And we were like, yes, we're going to take that. We pray that. Please, God, let that be the case. So we got busy and we started getting the house ready and the house was ready in September. And when we put it on the market, a bunch of people said, oh, it's not a great time to sell. Like, mm, well, hopefully it'll work out for you guys. And we're like, well, we just have to be faithful. We feel like God's saying it. Let's do it. And so we did it. And within 10 days, our house was sold. Um, and we were like, this is amazing. This is a total story of faith, how we trusted God. And everyone said it would be hard. And it's been really easy. And da, 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 da. Um, and so we then found a house that we felt like God was leading us to. And there were, again, there were a bunch of dreams and words and pictures that helped us to feel like this was the right house for us and they accepted our offer and everything seemed like it was going perfectly and um, fast forward five weeks and we got a phone call from our solicitor saying there's no easy way to say this but your buyers have pulled out and it felt well and truly like a slammed shut door and um, Honestly, in that moment, I was super cross. <laughs> I was like, God, why have you closed this door? I don't understand. It felt like there were so many moments like that were pointing towards this, that you were in this and that this was right. Um, but once we, once we kind of got past our disappointment, Scott and I just felt like God was really encouraging us to just come into a new season of just giving everything to him. And so what we started to pray every single day was, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done in the area of our house. If you want us to stay, we'll stay. If you want us to go, we'll go. It doesn't matter. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Fast forward another kind of four or five weeks and um, we're getting to kind of the end of November and we got a phone call saying that our house, um, that someone had offered on it, and we accepted that offer. The very same day, um, we went back to the house that we felt God was leading us to and we put in our offer again. And it just so happened that that was the exact day that they were considering another offer and had just been about to accept it when our offer went in. Two things happened in that moment. God sell, sold our house. Sell, I nearly went proper West Coast on everyone there. God sold our house um, in an even more difficult moment than the first place. So first time he sold it, it was September. The second time he sold it, it was December. And we managed to resubmit that offer on the exact same day for the house that we felt like God was leading us to. And we were like, okay, Jesus, that is definitely a story of faith for our kiddos. Um, and what we found that with that setback, God was setting us up for the next season. He was growing our trust. He was growing our faith in him. And he was we were in his ability really to move all things into the right place at the right time. And that included us. And that is exactly what he was doing in that moment. So we see in this passage, these guys expect that God is going to guide them. They, ex they are open-handed and open-hearted to be shaped by the spirit on the journey. And then finally, we see that spirit-led setbacks often lead to spirit-filled setups. And so perhaps we can look back and we can see over even the last couple of months that maybe there's been some setbacks and we can see that there's been led to spirit-filled setups for us. 
or maybe we're still in that setback moment, I just want to encourage you this morning that God is here. He wants to guide you. He wants to meet with you and shape you in this moment. I'm just going to pray for us. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you just where we are. We welcome you. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for the plans that we have in our hands right now, Lord. We open our hands to you and we just say, God, would you mold them? Would you shape them in whatever way you want to? God, I want to pray for people who specifically are maybe experiencing fear this morning. I wonder if some of us are feeling really frightened because we don't really know where to turn or what to do. And I just want to pray for you that you would know the guidance of God, the guidance of your heavenly father. He's with you. He loves you. He wants to go ahead of you and lead you through. And so, Lord, just as we continue in our ministry and our worship this morning, would you be with us, God? Would you speak to us and would you shape us? In Jesus' name, amen.